This is RDQI. Teams. It's not just a frustrating office communicator app. It's how most of humanity gets things done. We're joined once again by our good friend Eric to talk about teamwork and whether it really <laughs> does make the dream work. <laughs> Enjoy the show. This episode of RDQI is brought to you by Dave's Relish. Dave's Relish. Relish in pain and suffering. All right. Well, welcome back to the RDQI podcast, Mr. Eric. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me back. Eric and Ryan, I have a, a question for both of you. Does teamwork make the dream work? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Ryan, would you like to take that first? Or, uh? it's been, if someone's had a long week, okay. Um, yeah, that's yes, a, that's a life goal of mine, guys. That was awesome. <laughs> it does make the dream work, though. You know, I mean, in the sense of if you have a dream that needs more than one person to work together to accomplish that dream, you're gonna have to make a team out of it, and. It's a little obvious, but teams only work together if there's teamwork there. It's a lot more complex than that, as anyone knows who's ever been to like first grade and tried to play kickball. Not if you've read The Fountainhead. <laughs> Sorry, I really, really don't want to go there, but I had to. I, I no Ayn Rand jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, David. <laughs> uh, well, I would have to agree with Mr. Ryan to your, your question about teamwork, Dave. Um, it's very, very important in many different aspects, obviously. And uh, I think we'll kind of get into talking a little bit about like traits and things of what makes teams work and function function together. Um, but yeah, I would, I would definitely have to agree that teamwork does make the dream work. And how about you, Dave? I mean, you're part of teams all the time. Inside your work yeah. and even before then. I think it's sort of a, a, a mental shift that I, I can't say anybody outside of, you know, America, but as Americans, you know, we kind of grow up in the society where it's really all about the individual. You know, I sort of joked about the, the fountainhead, but I think there's a lot of belief in this idea that like one person can, you know, make or break uh, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. One person invented the iPhone. One person invented Spotify. One person invented the light bulb. Um, right. Which none of those are true. But I th right. <laughs> well, right. It's, it's very, very rarely true. I was listening to um, a Naval Ravikant podcast about innovation, and he was talking about how there, throughout history, there have been these, these enclaves of, of like, uh, really exponentially progressive progression, I guess, of, you know, human ingenuity and technology and all that. So, um, you know, Florence and, and Renaissance Italy and, and Silicon Valley and now sort of Austin, Texas today. And he was bringing up the point that we, whether this is an American trait or, or not, we like to believe in this myth of, you know, the Steve Jobs of the world single-handedly reinventing how phones and personal computers work. 
but it's really it's really groups of people iterating on you know in in close proximity just kind of continuously trying to move towards something and then there's a breakthrough but like it's never that one person it's always a team of some kind and i think that's a hard shift for it was for me at least to make to to come to the realization that there's very little that i can do on my own um but it kind of goes in the face of like this idea of you know you're the master of your own destiny (laughs) (laughs) right well there is that sense and this is something you and i are going to get into i think later dave but the kind of self-obsessed individual, which tends to be Americans. And it's not self-obsessed like I am the best. It's more self-obsessed self-obsessed like um, what am I doing today that's going to make the world better? You could see that as a self-obsession, right? As opposed to someone else who might think like, what am I going to do? How am I going to be a part of this family to make the family better? And that's less of a self-obsession, more of a family-oriented mindset. Super broad. It's probably not even 100% true, but let's go with it for the moment, for a conversation. And so, yeah, you see like, you know, the Michael Phelps of the world, the swim, the one lone swimmer who wins all the gold medals. And you think, wow, that person's amazing. He has how many coaches and how many coaches has he had over his lifetime? And his physiotherapist, his nutritionist, I mean, the list goes on. All those people behind him. And again, we like to worship the hero, not worship. We like to elevate the hero, the one person who achieves exactly what you're saying. Which is why when you get into a situation where you have to work as a team, one of the first things I always dealt with, especially because my first career was in recording studios, was dealing with competing egos. It's always difficult to deal with. How have you guys seen that in the teams you're a part of? Um, from from my aspect, I definitely think the the ego thing definitely exists in the kitchen for sure. Um, and like through my experiences seeing different individuals that like, you know, you kind of like butt heads with because they want to be you or they want to be on your level, you know, uh, or a certain aspect of that in the kitchen, which is, you know, all you, uh, the way I approach it anyway, was just like with my actions and not necessarily with my words, you know, show everybody that I am in the position that I should be in, you know, which I think when we were, you guys were talking about teamwork for me, I think like two big things in teamwork is like understanding and respect. And Mm. I think that, you know, goes an extremely long way to be able to create a team, you know? And and do you mean like when people want to take up your space, are you kind of talking along lines of like hierarchy? Like if you, yeah, just like the hierarchy in the kitchen. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just as in where, like where you stand or like, you know, your positioning kind of, yeah. The hierarchy of like where your status is in the kitchen kind of like uh, like the the unwritten rules or, you know, kind of things that are there, but everyone's aware of it. So how, this is, I'm always curious about this. How are people aware of the unwritten rules? Cause every group has them, you know, no matter what you do. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I think in in kitchens it's just the way, especially how the way you start out, right? It's if you go on the old method of your first job in the kitchen is the dishwasher, you know what I mean? And as you progress, you start getting more responsibilities, you know, a lot of time deadlines and things get greater as you kind of move through um in that kind of realm. 
So people understanding, depending on where they are, you know, someone who is like a prep cook who's talking back to one of the nighttime lead cooks, you know, like you just you just understand you don't do that. I don't know. You just you just get it. You either see experiences in the kitchen where you're like, yeah, that kid's not not in the right place to be able to say what he's saying or yeah almost you, reminds me of that movie uh waiting like how the first day kind of it's like yeah that. not not as exaggerated but well sure of yeah. course <laughs> yeah but like that you know the premise is basically there's a new guy at a restaurant and he's being shown around by some character i think oh yeah totally and so Luis like guzman yes. yeah right. <laughs> that's, that's great a little extra garlic salt. <laughs> like, you know, rubs his hair and yeah. So But yeah, you kinda it's almost like those informal mentorships where someone kinda takes you under their wing and says, like, hey, don't mess with individual like that person. They've got a hot oh, temper. Oh yeah, totally. Oh yeah. And I think you just witness it too, you know. Like I, I I've always said, like, you know, a kitchen's a jungle, you know. So so when you see when you see a first timer Walking into a kitchen, dude, it's like it's it's prey, bro. It's fresh meat. They're like, who's that? <laughs> they stick out like a sore thumb, you know. They look, they're afraid. You know what I mean? Like, you can see it in their eyes, man. Like they're, I mean, there there's a level of like, you know, maybe a level of craziness almost, depending on where you're working, where you have to kind of carry with yourself because the work's hard, man. You know, you gotta you gotta find a way to cope with it and deal with it, and you know, gotta roll with it. So. Does the restaurant world allow for for um, I guess idea sharing across the hierarchy? Does that question make sense? A little bit. So, so the reason why I bring it up is um, what I do. I work with different projects with different people from different countries, and there's a lot of there's a lot of differences between nationalities that kind of factor into how you manage and work with a team. So for instance, um, and, and this is all, you know, we can dive into like the, the, um, uh, for, uh, shoot, I forget what it's called. Um, the five dimensions of Hofstede's five cultural dimensions. All right. I can't believe I pulled that out of thin air. Um, but it just has to do with a, with a culture and just how they, how they kind of, have learned to navigate the world just based on the culture that they grew up in. So for mm. instance, um, sure. and just, uh, I don't know if I want to dive into specifics, but one culture could be very, very hierarchical. Meaning if somebody is a lower level than you, they will never ever question anything you say ever. Um, even if it's wrong. Right. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's an interesting case study, and I forget which country it is. Um, but there, you know, one, this this country that had the highest level of um, airplane crashes, I guess. And part of the reason when they did this <clears throat> this big study was if a pilot said something and somebody underneath the pilot thought to themselves that is not a safe idea, it wouldn't matter. They would not question that because it came from somebody from a higher level. Interesting. Whereas Americans don't have that power distance really. And and in fact, like with my team members, I actively encourage our, our lower level people. Right. Like, hey, you know, speak up. Yeah, I I don't have you know, you're you're doing this, your hands are in the details, you know this better than I do. Tell me when you see a way that we can do this better. Totally. And like actively try and solicit that feedback. Mm-hmm. But it's a different world than a kitchen. Totally. I I think that 
people have to understand where they lie. But at the same time, I think a lot of people in kitchens uh, have a lot of pride, especially in the Hispanic culture. Like they're very, they have, they really care about what they do, you know? So it's like, if something's not right, like it's, it's not right. You know what I mean? Like they're, there are, they don't cut corners really necessarily. And you know, it's not like someone in the lower end speaking out or they won't listen. Like, yo, if you burnt the meatballs, man, you burn them. Like it's, I see it. You know what I mean? I see it and I smell it. Like you can't cover that up. Like, it, you know, so, it, so yeah, there's not so much of that. Like, you know, a dishwasher coming up being like, Hey man, like, can you not burn the saute pans anymore? Line cook <laughs> might look at him and tell him to buzz off. But I mean, if I was standing there, I'd be like, he's got a point. Yeah, sure. No one in the recipe doesn't say to burn it. <laughs> you, know what I mean? like, you know, it's just, your, your saute pan should not be caked. You know what I mean? Like you're reheating, bro. Like you're not, you know, saute onions and olive oil until thoroughly burnt. <laughs> well, right. I mean, when you're dealing with cream sauces and stuff like mm-hmm. that, like you put Alfredo in a pan and you start heating it up. Yeah. If you don't touch it for two and a half minutes, I'll tell you what, it's going to start burning. Yeah. Especially in the pans in those kitchens. Like they're not nonstick, man. <laughs> right. You know, they're just, they're just metal steel pans. Yeah. You know, so, and that's different. And you want to talk about a fun time going to a dish pit on a, on a busy Saturday night and like, and you just have a stack of oh. just caked on burnt saute pans and they're yelling for more and it's like <laughs> yo i got a whole sink of ones i can't clean right now you know like maybe if you want to burn everything i can clean them faster and get you clean pans god yeah. i don't even like i don't even like when i have one pan with caked on crap everywhere oh man hey, yeah i've seen oh then- man there was a time oh sorry they got a little story here they're, <laughs> they're like not too long ago I was closing one night at work and I'm kind of walking past on the I'm walking down the line and it smells like meatballs. I'm like, man, why does it smell like meatballs? Like everything's put away at this point. Everything's off. I'm just double checking everything's off. All the ovens are off, everything's good. I'm like, man, it's just kind of smell like it's kind of weird, but all right, whatever. You know, go home, come in the next morning. I open, so then I open the next morning. So I get in, I start opening everything up, turning everything on, and about forty minutes half an hour, forty minutes in, I'm like, man. It smells like meatballs. <laughs> Why does it still smell like meatballs? And I'm like, so then I, I bend down and I open up the saute oven and there's a, a sizzle plate. It's like an oval, oval, just metal platter. Like it's not nonstick, but like they, we use them all the time. But like, like a mini sheet tray almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just this black mass. It's just carbon mass, which was meatballs. <laughs> so the, the pasta cook forgot he had meatballs, left them in the oven all night. And then when I came in the morning, I reheated them, <laughs> which is why it smelled like meatballs. And I was just like, I took a picture of the meatballs and I sent it to the guy. I sent it to the cook and I said, hey, how long on meatballs? <laughs> And then he responded tomorrow. <laughs> and it was a wonderful exchange. And Hugo has not since uh, left meatballs in the oven. So sorry. That was a you still have over. that picture. That's going to go up on Instagram. I'm pretty sure I have it on my phone. <laughs> yes. I, I might have it on my phone, actually. But that, I don't I mean, manage the. That also displays uh, like your leadership style on a team, though. Which is like you weren't yeah. chewing them out necessarily. You're just kind of like joking like, hey, dude, you messed up. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the nice thing right now is like the situation that I'm currently in. Like, I can for the first time ever say that like my team, like I have adults, kind of for the most part, not children. You know, like I I've worked with you know I've had you know 18 year old kids who come out of culinary school who you know want to get paid 15 dollars an hour. Which doesn't seem like a lot, but in the kitchen world, it kind of is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and he he he's terrible. You know what I mean? Like he's just no good. Yeah. So, or the guys I have now that like they have this just level of pride where like they don't they don't cut corners, man. Like they deep clean because they care about the restaurant, they care about their job. You know what I mean? And they like doing it. So like I don't have to micromanage them, dude. Like I literally don't have to quiz them on recipes or hey this is wrong like i mean i could call them out but i do i do it like that you know what i mean because because it's like they know better you know what i mean like they understand that like oh yeah you know yeah Mm. can't do that that's interesting dynamic about teams that i've actually thought about a lot lately because there's a fine line between as a as a leader um conveying the necessary gravity of a situation but also making it fun and laughing about things and not taking everything too seriously because mm-hmm. you know I used to I I was on a pretty brutal project for a while and it was a blast because the person in charge made it fun you know it was things were falling apart around us and i frankly most people in that situation would not have dealt with it in a good way like they would have said oh this is horrible everything you know and it would have been miserable but we were like cracking jokes and talking about how you know oh this is a nightmare i can't believe this is crazy but it just made everything so much easier to do but you can't treat everything like a joke because things do matter Mm. totally well i mean i think in that situation in general like he didn't leave the oven on, like he didn't burn. You know, it wasn't like a serious thing. It was, it was more just kind of funny, you know. <laughs> like he knows that he shouldn't have done that, you know. Because yeah. I mean, there's been times where, like, you know, they they don't and they forget the lasagna in the hot box, and then if it doesn't get double checked, yeah, which is ultimately a shame on me, I guess, you know. But then oh, now we wasted a, las- a lasagna because it's in the thing all night. But you could you could have dealt with that meatball situation differently, right? Because it's not like yeah they didn't burn the restaurant down, but you know now you gotta you know could have gone Gordon Ramsay get a hammer, just, you gotta yeah. get a hammer and chisel right, the right, carbonized right. meatballs off. Yeah, totally. Thing. And it was wasted food. No, totally. No, absolutely. But I think I mean because I, I don't know. I've worked for people where it was like you know you closed the restaurant and then you came in the next day and they just had a list of things that you didn't do. You forgot to do this. These didn't go here. You didn't refill the spoons on Expo, and oh, you missed three labels in the cooler, and oh, the garbage cans didn't get washed out, and oh, the mops were, you know, and brooms and stuff weren't put back where they're supposed to be, and da 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 da. -da -da. And it's like, oh, (laughs) okay. Like I didn't realize every day was gonna be a test. Now, like I I I thrived in that situation because my approach to that was like, you know what? Well. You know, I'm going to show you, you know what I mean? Like, like, I, you know, you're going to give me this list. But guess what? I'm going to do my darndest to make sure that every night that I close, there's less and less of a list to a point to where 
there isn't one because yeah. when there isn't one it's kind of this like level of perfection right mm-hmm. like i mean getting so nitpicky like there is a like a level of satisfaction when like you do come in the next day and your chef looks at you and tells you like man the place looked great mm-hmm. yeah you know what i mean like especially like if you go through all you know this long process of like trying to improve and stuff but yeah. oh yeah i mean so it's interesting so my teamwork experiences have always been in kind of a weird role because whether I was in the music industry side of things or my career after that in sales, I was always in a weird, like between two worlds position. Um, let me put it to you this way in my last job. So my job was to sell basically coffee and services and programs to restaurants and hotels, right? So what would end up happening is I'd have to walk into a hotel. Let's say I walked into your restaurant, Eric, and was trying to sell you on some an elevated espresso program or something you know, like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to work with you and you finally bite and you're like, okay, I'm interested. Now it's my job to like work with you to get a program that is designed for your needs and actually meets your expectations of, a, you know, a vendor, let's say. Mm-hmm. So like I'm working with you as a, basically a teammate, even though you're my client slash oh, yeah, kind of totally. quasi adversary kind of, you know, and then it gets even worse yeah. because then the hardest part is actually taking the deal that you and I have, Eric and then taking it to Dave, who runs my warehouse and is in charge of actually servicing your account. Right. In my experience, convincing in this analogy, convincing Dave is the hardest part. It's not, con- it's not convincing you. It's, it's convincing your own business to sell the business, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, totally. Because it's all yeah, detailed. No, you, have a, you have a different dynamic to it, for sure, as in terms of right. teamwork. And it's weird because like you're all trying to get along together, and everyone is interested in it coming together, but everyone has a stake in the game. And their stakes have to be met. You know, like if I'm going to give Dave this piece of business, you know, Eric's restaurant, he wants to know like how many pounds of coffee is he going to go through a week? How often does he expect service? Like the the list of questions is like usually like 20 to 25 questions long. And so, right. and that, that would become my list basically, because I didn't want to ever show up to a meeting with Dave in this case and not be able to answer a question of his. Kind of like in your case, you never want to show up the next day for work and be given a list from your chef about what you failed to do. And it's right. the best feeling when, in my case, he just would rattle off a bunch of questions. I'd answer all of them. He'd kind of just look at me and be like, hmm, okay. And that was his way of saying, like, you just did an amazing job of work. Congratulations. Right, like, good job. Right. And it was so satisfying when, the, when, when those days would happen where it just would come through. Everything was perfect. But that's a weird teamwork because, you know, we're all on the same team nominally, but we're also fighting against each other in a lot of ways to get the best right. deal for everyone. Yeah. And then so politics is always a really weird dynamic of well, teamwork. Yeah, I think you feel like that yes, that is involved into it too, which sometimes makes things difficult. Well even even if you think of, you know, I I really like the example, Rye, but if you if you even think of um you know, a team that's, that is, uh, you know, you're talking about teams, like sort of teams that are created through doing business at a large company. But even if you're working on one project, like you're developing an app, right? And you have all your software guys sitting around a table, you're still dealing with all the different wants, needs, and desires of every individual, you Mm -hmm. know, like, yeah, okay, maybe four of the five of you want to stay until 10 o'clock and, you know, keep working and push through. But, you know, you're, 
of four single people and then there's one person who's married and has kids and they're like, no, I'm going home at five. Um, and that can be really frustrating, but you know, you're also dealing with, with the needs, different needs of the individual. You know, you just happen to come together for this one thing that the five of you want, but it's, you know, that's not, your whole lives aren't linked. (laughs) Right. You know, and I've always thought, and to that point, I've always thought the teams I've been a part of that were most effective is when the leader sets very clear and honest expectations and everyone knows what they are. Because then it's not a mystery if like you're living up to the, to the team, you know, you kind of know where you are, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I think the expectations need to be there, but I think a big piece of that too is like accountability. Mm -hmm. Like, people throughout like at least in the kitchen format like even people need to be able to keep each other in line and you know be able to call each other out you know like almost like kind of like breed a sense of culture of like hey if your buddy next year is doing something and you know that he's doing it not the right way say something Hmm. you know don't be mean about it don't be rude you know what i mean but like point it out to him of like hey man you know that's not what chef wants you know that's right. not the way he wants you to do that that's, you know kind of thing that's interesting because i like for young i've been on teams where absolutely like that's the way that it's handled but i've also you know i've been on teams of um you know like like problem solver teams which the dynamic is not really that way at all the dynamic is you know everybody needs to be on top of their game at all times and you like there's so much coming at us that you have to rely on the people next to you to do what they need to do. And if you can't handle it, there's no, there's no kind of yelling. I mean, there's maybe there's slight correction here or there, but it's mostly like, yeah, you're not going to, you don't have the mentality to, to work in this kind of environment. And it, it really doesn't have like a whole lot to, I've worked with very skilled people who just couldn't handle the, the pressure of some of these problem Mm -hmm. areas. Um, And, you know, it's like, I'm not gonna, you're not like, Hey, you need to do this. It's just like, you need to get out. We need to find somebody who can handle this. Well, totally. (laughs) And that, 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 that happens in the kitchen. Like if someone is, you could tell, like if they don't fit in and have that mentality of everyone around them, they're yeah. not gonna make it long. This guy's like, you don't need it, to find know? a way. Yeah. yeah, you don't. You don't need to like, you know, find a way to get rid of them. They will. They will leave. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because they just can't hack it. I think the thing though is, is the accountability is more on like the people who are act like the, the the core, like those people that be able to hold. Like from my experiences, at least in the kitchen, like people having a sense of accountability and having you know pride in what they do, like it just pushes you to not cut corners. You know what I mean? Like it just—I don't know. It it exudes an environment of like trying to strive to be better today than we were yesterday. Yeah. You know, which just ultimately makes everybody better. Which, you know, because in the end, on the line, if someone someone's not pulling their weight, if you're waiting for your sets to come from saute, but saute's drowning, and he's not on it because he's drunk or for or whatever, stayed up too late the night before, or you know he's mad because his girlfriend dumped him. Like it's like you know, I don't care. Yeah, you know, like you need to do it. Mm. You know, like put the, put it aside and you know, cook. 
And that's where kind of yeah. like teams start to take on a familial quality, right? Because like you're talking about like you got to have those core people, those family members, if you will, who are going to be the lieutenants and kind of hold rank yep. and like keep everything in yeah, order for totally. chef, you know? Yeah. And I think that family nature, if if you don't have that trust and respect to kind of build a, f- a familial sense, because obviously they're not family, but in some ways they are, you know? So. Oh, yeah. That's really- I, I worked for a guy for probably like four or five years, um, not all at the same time, but um, it, I don't think he has ever called me out on something that I've done wrong or like said, hey, you should do it this way next time. But, you know, I screwed something up and I found out the next day that he ended up staying up until like five in the morning fixing my mistake. Didn't call me or anything. And he... He just seems like, hey, I'm really tired. I'm like, oh, why? He's like, well, I was fixing this. Like, didn't even, but, but I'm just like, oh, wow. I like, let he this didn't guy say, down. He, like, he didn't tell you, hey, I, I actually fixed think your I heard, problem. I think I heard from somebody else. Like, he didn't even oh, tell wow. me. Um, but, but he didn't really have to because his mentality is like, look, I, you know, we screw, people screw up sometimes. I, I was the one on duty or on, you know, I, so I fixed it. Um, but the level of trust that we built up, at least with that core group of people, it was, you know, if I did something wrong, like I was the one to, to identify and, and fix it. Like, Oh shoot. I let my team down. Right. You know, that's cool. But that, you know, it's, it's, that's a, I think a unique situation and an example maybe of a team that's really been built up well yeah. so that it can take on that, that familial form, like you were saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. And kind of, how do you get there though? <laughs> um, so I've, you know, it's funny. We didn't really, uh, I'm going to delete everything I just said. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> I've been, well, cause well, I've been looking into this, uh, the concept of intent, Intent, like how does a general communicate to their entire, let's say, division, thousands of soldiers, what the intent is? Like it might be, hey, we're going to go take hill number one from the enemy, right? Well, that's fine, but what do you mean? Like how? How are we going to go about doing that? What is the manner in which we're going to do that? Like are we willing to just send all the soldiers in or do we not want to lose soldiers, right? You have to communicate a lot of nuance about what the intent really is. And then it gets even trickier because it's not just what you say out loud, it's also the implication. So kind of like you're saying, Dave, how you knew you had such a rapport with your boss that you knew your boss's expectations. So even without him having to correct you, you knew what his implied intent for your actual work was. And that, I think, is the symbol of a good leader. And around a good leader is where you can build a family. You have to have someone who's kind of taking point, though, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah, I mean you need you need a you need the foundation, right? Uh just before you build the building. <clears throat> so I feel like you need that general corporal whatever whatever you want to call it uh at at the lead and you need you need, then at that point you really you need people to buy in, right? Buy into mm-hmm. what it is that you're you're expecting them to do. And I feel like the 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 best way to do so is by you know leading by example, you know, and being honest, you know, uh, 
and you can't, you know, because you're going to make mistakes. Everyone's human, you know, but I think if you could try to hold yourself to the expectations that you expect of others, you know, it's, it's a lot of those where people, you know, like the meme of someone who's like, this is a leader. Like a leader doesn't lead like just like they, they, you know, they lead by example kind of thing. Not the guy in front barking orders, but the guy who's standing next to you, you know, helping you get done whatever it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah. You know, this is an interesting question. I guess to what extent is a, a central leader with, um, with like a, I don't want to say superhuman, but I can't think of a better way to say it right now. But like a, a leader who is part, you know, like actual leader, and then also part like this idea that you look up to. To what? extent is that actually needed in a team? Because if we think of smaller teams, like if the three of us were going to, and the three of us have cooked, you know, meals before and, and done things like that. And, you know, we did, we did it without a centralized leader. It was really just the three of us kind of working towards a goal. But you look at, you know, a Fortune 500 company, a, a successful Fortune 500, or a successful start, or a successful company in general, the, the really good ones kind of rally around this leader who is at, at one part, you know, the person who's actually making the strategic decisions, but they're also this idea. Like, think about Steve Jobs and Apple. You know, he was making the strategic decisions, but he was also this ideal of reinventing this, you know, world of communication technology that people could rally behind. So, and and, I mean, I think about my own personal teams and the the person that I was just referencing is definitely somebody who created that aura. You know, he was directing the team, but he also was somebody that just kind of had their own personal brand and you were proud to work alongside him and for what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Is that always necessary to have that that leader position i think that's what makes like great leaders like you could maybe be a leader without having that like that mystique or that like aura about them but i feel like what makes like really good leaders are people when you look at them you're just like he's got it you know what I mean? Like he, the way the way he talks, he carries himself, the things he does, just like it's something that people look at and just like, yep, okay. Can you have su- <clears throat> can you have successful teams without that? Yeah, I think 100%. so. I don't think they'd be extremely successful. I, yeah. I think it's almost like looking at separating the gr- like the greatest ever. You know what I mean? Like people that are like generational. Like you may only run into someone like this. Once or twice in your life. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, if there's teams that do exist that probably are successful that don't have that, they have a leader. They may have a good one. They just don't have one that literally every person, when you ask them about this person, they have nothing but the best things to say. You know? I, I was just going to plug a book really quick. Um, a book called Jim Collins, uh, Jim, a book by Jim Collins called good to great. And it's about kind of exactly that. It's looking at companies that are good versus companies that are great and looking primarily at their CEOs and how that, that message really sort of drove those, those companies to, to just be like complete game changers. Wow. Cool. It was very, a very interesting read. Anyway, sorry, Ryan. No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, this is a kind of a trivial example because it's from high school, but 
Um, so I, you know, big water polo player. We talked about that a little bit on the show, and uh, or at least it was until I hit college. And then, um, so I was living. So I moved to the state of Texas uh, when I was 16. So I had my junior and senior years left at this new school. So I was plopped onto this random new water polo team, basically. And it was made up of this core group of guys who had literally grown up together since at least like the second or third grade, you know, sounds kind of familiar, right? But imagine that <laughs> all they've done is like swam and played water polo together their whole life up until this moment, we're all like 16 and 17. And then when we got to our senior year, there was there was enough of us and we were good enough that we were pretty sure we were in contention for winning the state championship that year. And our coach was, he's, he was from Michigan and he was a diving coach, like a, like, a, you know, aquatics diving. And he was also right. a hockey player and a hockey goalie. So like his tactical and strategic understanding of water polo was next to nothing because it just wasn't really his motivation. But for us, it was like, ah, we, we've been playing club We've been playing in tournaments across the country. We've been playing together. Well, most of these guys have been playing together since they're little kids. And we kind of, as a group, and the coach was kind of went in on it. It was just kind of like, coach is just kind of like, okay, I'm going to do all the organizing, obviously, and have everything, have everything together for you. But there were a lot of practices that we as a team ran, the kids, just because we knew we, what wow. we wanted to work on to get better at. Like, okay, we need to get better at this situation coach can we practice it and then coach was like okay let's do it and he would run the practice for us and you know we were a very successful team by the definition you know we ended up winning everything so it, it's possible but it also took all these like smaller leaders inside the kids element of this situation to make it work right totally hmm. that was probably one of the coolest experiences you had i would think speaking for you as in terms of like sports Oh and yeah, being yeah. part of a team. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. Oh man, it's uh, it's a it's a weird feeling. Just like the chemistry. Yeah, I mean, well, and just the chemistry. And I know that you were kind of an outsider coming in to that situation, mm-hmm. but like you were obviously not a stranger to experience and become a part of the chemistry that those kids had with each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and just like. I mean, goodness, like you want to talk about, I don't care what sport it is, but if you get a group of kids that grew up together playing a sport like that together and got to that level, you know, like, I mean, a lot of people don't play collegiate sports. So when you hit your senior year of high school, I mean, you're kind of like, you're not at your prime prime, but like, you know what I mean? Like you're the the biggest, the fastest, the strongest you've been in your life. And for the last however many years, that you've been uh, training, like it all comes to this, you know, mm-hmm. probably a very, very cool experience. Yeah. And especially because, I mean, in that, in that, in any sport, you get to a level with your team, especially if you're hitting kind of, I wouldn't say we're elite. It was state level water polo, right? It's not super competitive in the grand scheme of things. But when you get to that quasi elite level, you start thinking as a unit, you know, you start finishing each other's sentences. It's like the, you know, cheesy way to say it. Oh, totally. I mean, you you guys have that you know each other's intentions. Yeah. You know, like you know you know how you're gonna react. Like you know that like oh like I've seen this all this time. He's gonna throw it this way, or if we see this, this <laughs> right. is how so and so is gonna break or move or whatever. I mean, yeah, it becomes it becomes second nature, right? It, mm-hmm. It's almost like instinctual. 
you know, and you're and you're letting yourselves just be able to just flow and play rather than having to try to think in the moment, you know, and which I think, is where I feel like you run into mistakes. And I think that's when teams really start to when they click when they're running on all that, cylinders. Absolutely, that's yeah. that that would definitely be the definition of clicking is like just being able to yeah to finish other people's thoughts or intentions and knowing where they are without having to do anything like that is. That's one. It's a super cool feeling, you know. And I think you can get that not just in sports, you know, sure, in different levels, mm-hmm. you know. Like I've 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 been a part of a team on a kitchen where it was like, you know, everyone had a role and everyone kind of understood it. And like when we all decided to work together and all we all bought in, like man, it was some of the greatest times, you know. And then I've been on teams that were just atrocious, <laughs> you know. And it's just like it's no fun, and it's just you know. You got to take the good with the bad. Mm-hmm.